Welcome, I'm Pastor Abraham, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Sun Valley Podcast. You can check out our church on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for worship thoughts, devotionals, and the latest events happening at our church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Uh, we want to welcome you again to Sun Valley, where we believe in growing faith and building community and in the hope of Jesus. You know, we're really, we're really grateful that you're joining us here today for our Mother's Day service. We're looking forward to a few more services in the coming months, uh, in the summertime. I know hopefully things are going to get warmer and, uh, and we're going to miss the rain. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to a, cu- a couple of more uh, drive-in services if the restrictions don't change for us. So look forward to a June 19th service. I believe that's the Saturday, the Father's Day weekend. We'll have a Father's Day weekend drive-in service for you. So mark it on your calendars and look out for an Eventbrite registration that'll be available sometime in the coming weeks. But today we're continuing our series called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus, where we explore some of the major and minor stories and writings of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And as we explore these writings, we're seeing this incredible and intricately woven story of love that is scattered throughout the Bible's history, showing us a clearer picture of the love that God has for us. And now today we're continuing on in our journey through the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah was a prophet who prophesied sometime between the 6th and 7th centuries BC or BCE. And his ministry spanned the reign of five different kings from the time of Josiah to the end of the nation of Judah with the reign of King Zedekiah. Now, Jeremiah prophesied the conquest of Babylon. He prophesied the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem in 587 BC. And he was calling the people of Judah into repentance. He was calling them to change their ways to avoid the consequences of the sins that they were living in. But today we're going to be revisiting, actually, the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Now, you you might remember that a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago precisely, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 29 and we talked a little bit about the promise that God has and the calling that God has for us in Babylon, how we are called for, we are called one, from Babylon. We are called to be different from Babylon, not to be influenced by the world and by, by the decisions that the world makes, but we're also called for Babylon. That it's not just, we're not called to be hermits or recluses. We're not called to be uh, trolls (laughs) living under the bridge. But rather we are called for Babylon. We are called to minister to and reach the people that are in the world around us. And then we are also called from Babylon. This one's important. That we cannot be called and minister to a world that we are not a part of. We We cannot minister to a community that we are not involved in. In fact, Jeremiah 29 says, pray for your cities. Seek the prosperity of your cities. Seek for peace for your cities. Be a part of your cities, God says. Be a part of your communities. But we skipped, if you're familiar with Jeremiah 29, or at least with the famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, you'll notice that we skipped that verse two weeks ago. But now we're going to begin tackling that verse today. We're going to be reading Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 14. So I'll be reading Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. Hear the promise that God gives the exiles, not only back then, but us today too. So Jeremiah 29.10, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 
verse 11. This might be the, the, the part you're familiar with. You can recite it if you're familiar with this verse. Verse 11 says, For I know, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And verse 12 says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now God speaks through Jeremiah to these exiles who are now currently living in Babylon. They've been displaced from their homes. They have lost the places that they grew up in. The, the hope of their nation, of Judah, of having a nation after God has been lost. Can you imagine what it might feel like to be completely displaced from everything that you know? Not only your home, but your entire religious structure, your spirituality, your, your, your home base, uh, uh, everything that is, that is culturally familiar to you. Can you imagine what it must feel like to have the center of religious worship destroyed? The temple was completely gone. That's where they would go every day. That's where they would go for these big festivals. That's where they would go for all of their holidays. They'd run and they'd come to the temple. They'd journey from far and wide. Can you imagine what it must be like to have that destroyed? And so now the people, they're looking for hope. They're looking for something to cling to. And we saw a few weeks ago that God had placed again a call for them, a unique call for them while in Babylon. He said, deliverance is going to come, but there's a work to be done first. And so God gives them then here in this promise a timeline. He says, he promises 70 years and Babylon's time would be completed and he would bring his people into deliverance. And in fact, God does just that. Through Cyrus, king of Persia, God leads the exiles back to Jerusalem and he actually provides for them the means to rebuild the city walls and the temple. If you want to read about that, you can read that in Ezra chapters 1 and chapters 3. And it talks about how Cyrus, king of Persia, not only allowed them to leave, but he also provided all the financial resources for them to be able to rebuild their walls and rebuild the city. But at the moment, this hasn't happened yet. At the moment, the people are feeling a little unsure of how God feels about them. Now, you have to remember that the people back then believed that suffering was a direct punishment for their sins. Now, I certainly believe that sins and our choices can lead us into consequences. Yes, there are natural consequences to the choices that we make. But this is key. God's hand is in restoration, not in destruction. And so if you believe this other theory, if you believe this other thing that suffering is a direct punishment for your sins, you can imagine how the people might feel uncertain about where they stand with God. You can imagine that they might not be quite sure about where they are in their relationship with God. And so he promises them this, Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Here's our first lesson today. Our first lesson is this, God has plans for you. You see, God loves you so much that the same creative energy that spoke the cosmos into existence is at work planning for your well-being. You see, you're not an afterthought for God. Psalms chapter 8, David begins to marvel 
at the thought that God would care for each individual person on earth, despite, and he says this in Psalm 8, he says, despite how insignificantly small we are, he says, you have made us a little lower than the angels, that you love us so deeply and so passionately, even in the grand scale of the entire cosmos, God cares for every single individual, from the least to the greatest, from the smallest to the tallest, from the youngest to the oldest. You see, we're not just tiny ants on some backwater planet. You're not a matter of luck and coincidence. You are carefully crafted, carefully created with intention, with purpose, and with love. See, God plans things for you. He has good things ahead for you. You are on his mind when he is planning those good things. When he thinks about and plans for the restoration to come, when he thinks about and plans for the kingdom to come, when he thinks about and plans heaven, you are on his mind. When God plans good things, he takes you into account. You see, God isn't acting with indifference to you. In fact, the entire story of the Bible, the entire story of salvation centers, listen to this, it centers around you. The entire story, the entire great battle, this great controversy between God and the enemy revolves around you. And I love this because it, it revolves not just around our spiritual souls, but rather our whole selves. You see, when, when God died on the cross, he didn't die for some ethereal, spiritual, unquantifiable aspect of you, this weird consciousness or soul spirituality. He didn't die for just that. See, when Jesus died for you, he died for the whole you, your soul, your heart, your mind, your personality, who you are as a person. Jesus had you in mind, not just these ethereal souls. You see, God is concerned with you and he cares for you deeply. And God's plans for you include giving you a hope for a better future, a future that is better than what you have now. And if you have it good right now, I mean, good for you. <laughs> if you have it good right now, it's going to be better. And if maybe you're like me and you have those moments where it's not so good, where it's not feeling so great, where you feel pressured and anxious and worried, God has plans that are better than what you have now you see your present circumstances, they may not be the prettiest. They may not be the most comfortable. They may not be the happiest. There may be things that you're going through right now, struggling over or wrestling with. You may find yourself stuck in a cycle of sin. You may find yourself heartbroken or hurt and in need of healing. You may find yourself under the slavery of addiction. You may find yourself in some form of exile and feeling abandoned by God. But God is speaking to you here and now. And his plans for you include restoration. His plans for you include healing. His plans for you include deliverance from whatever you are going through right now. You see, God has plans for you. And this is important, though. You can't rush his plans. It's not always the most comfortable thought, especially when we're feeling overwhelmed now especially when we're feeling anxious now, especially when we're feeling depressed now. But God has this perfect timing that is impeccable. You see, we see the world through such a narrow pinhole. We see just such a limited perspective of reality. And so when we pray, 
when we ask for things, we're often, ask, we're often asking for things in our very limited perspective. But I am forever thankful that we serve a God that isn't limited by our perspective. We serve a God that sees everything. God stands above our perspectives. He gets a God's eye view of all things past, present, future, for all of eternity. And so when God intervenes, when God acts in your life, it is always at the right time. Taking into account not only what is going on in your lives, both the visible and invisible, but all the things that are going on across the cosmos. See, I found this in my life that I have prayed for many things. I have prayed for jobs. I have prayed for relationships. And God in his infinite wisdom has not given me some of those things. And I am thankful that God hasn't given me some of those things when I asked for them. Because the thing is that God has been giving me things so much better than I could have ever imagined. God has blessed me in ways that far have exceeded any expectation I could possibly conceive. And so Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. Listen to this. He says, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So we can trust in God's plans because there's something else that he says in this verse. He says this. He says, I have plans not to harm you. It's our second lesson today. God doesn't plan for harm. See, God provides hope for his people but that hope is still 70 years away. That's a long time. Generations might be born and pass in that 70 years that they're waiting for salvation to come. So God assures them of something. He says, listen, I have plans for you. I know that they're 70 years off, but these plans are not to harm you. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. If we pause and reflect a minute, it seems a little strange that God would need to clarify that his plans for us are not for harm. God is saying, listen, my plans for you aren't evil. They aren't malicious. They aren't leading to pain or oppression. But why, why might God even need to clarify that? Why would God have to say that? Shouldn't his people already believe that God has good plans for him, for them? But you see what happens is that we often treat God like a genie. God needs to clarify this because of the way that we pray sometimes. We treat God like a genie. You see, our prayers oftentimes fail to be dialogue and instead become wishes. We wish for things exactly as we want it. We wish for things how we want it. We wish for things when we want it. But God is, is not some genie constrained to our every whim. You see, God's plans for us are good, not plans to harm us. And this means that sometimes God has to answer no to our prayers. Sometimes God doesn't answer, or rather God answers, but rather says no, because the things that we might be asking for are not actually good. God's plans not to harm us sometimes means that he has to protect us from ourselves. He has to protect us from our own ignorance, from our own selfishness, from our own short-sightedness. 
And you see, when we blame God, if things don't go our way, it's because we have a transactional view of God. See, a transactional God owes you for your good deeds. If you do something good, a transactional God owes you for what you have done. What God gives you is an exchange, a transaction for your good deeds or whatever you're doing. But God isn't transactional. God is relational. You see, listen to this. God actually doesn't respond to our prayers. Did you hear that? God actually doesn't respond to our prayers. God responds to us. That's important. That's, that's a key. That's a key difference. God doesn't respond to our prayers, but rather responds to us. God isn't necessarily moved when you enter into formal prayer. You don't have to kneel down and close your eyes in order to communicate and move God, but rather God responds to you because you are his beloved creation. God responds to you because he cares for you. Not because you have entered in some, into some formal transactional system. Not because you've picked up the phone through prayer and have suddenly called him and he's answering. No, God is responding to you because he loves you. God responds to you as a person. But when we have this transactional view of God, we begin to twist our view of God's plans and God's timing. When we see prayer as a form of transaction, it is easy to blame God when things don't go our way. It can be easy to be frustrated when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want them to be answered. It can be easy to be frustrated when God doesn't answer our prayers when we want them to be answered. And this happens especially when we pray for things that we think are good or for things that are genuinely good. Why, listen to this, why, does, why God doesn't answer certain prayers? I can't tell you, but I believe this. I believe what he says in Jeremiah 29, 11. I believe that his plans are not to harm me. And so I believe that even when I have good prayers that don't get answered, that God is working a good that is far too big for my limited perspective to understand. Did you hear that? Even when I have good prayers, things that seem good to me, and if God doesn't answer them, it's because God is working a good that is far bigger than my limited perspective can understand. And I can believe that because I believe in the hope of Jesus. I believe in God's kingdom. I believe in a kingdom that will one day come and restore all things that are broken in this world and lead us into God's perfect peace. See, God wants to reassure us that his plans for us do not include evil. His plans for us do not include harm. So even in those moments where we might be tempted to see inactivity on God's end as failure, we are instead invited to see his inactivity as part of his plan for something better for our lives, whether it's this life or the next. So we're invited to trust the words, I know that I the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You see, God doesn't plan for harm. So we're going to read the passage 10 to 14 one last time. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years, this timeline is completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill, fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from this captivity you're experiencing. I will gather you from all of the nations and the places where you have been banished, where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. See, God says that his plans for his people, when they're complete, they will be relational in unity with him. They will call and he will answer. They will seek and he will be found. And many of us who are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11 are familiar with this version of it. It says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. My version, the NIV says that. So when we think of God's plans, we may be drawn to this idea of prosperity. We may be drawn to this idea of thriving. Some may even be drawn to the idea of monetary blessings. That's often what the word prosperity ties into. But the exact word that God uses here, the word that is translated as prosper, is actually the Hebrew word shalom. Now, if you've heard this word before, you may know that this Hebrew word shalom means peace. So God says, I have plans to shalom you, to peace you, plans not to harm you. And so here's our final lesson for today. Our final lesson is God plans shalom. See, God's plans for us are not limited to material prosperity. God's plans for us extend beyond the fleeting material objects and reaches deeply into something spiritual. God's shalom is full and complete peace, rest from trouble, protection from calamity, refuge from evil, yes. But even deeper than that simple protection is the kind of peace that God gives us, the strength to weather the storm, not simply avoid it. Did you hear that? The peace God gives us is not peace to avoid the storm, but rather oftentimes to weather the storm. God's plans of shalom for Israel included restoring them to a land that they had been exiled from. God's plans of shalom included being present with them, being easily found when they would seek him with all of their hearts. But his plans for shalom also included giving them the strength to trust him even when their nation was being handed from one kingdom to another. God's plans for shalom bring the assurance of heaven to a heart troubled with the chaos of earth. God's plans for shalom brings the assurance of heaven to a heart troubled with the chaos of earth. And so when God says that he has plans to give us peace, to give us shalom, he is saying that he has plans to bring us into this strengthened faith. The kind of faith that, like Paul says in Philippians 4, can withstand anything. 
The kind of faith that can rejoice whether you're rich or poor, whether you're starving or well-fed, whether you're in prison or whether you're free. That's what Paul says, Philippians 4.13. You guys know this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But really what he's saying is I can do all things. I can be rich and poor and starving and well-fed and in prison or free because Christ strengthens me and this faith that I have, this peace that I have allows me to weather any storm that the world might throw my way. But what I love even more about this peace that God offers is that his plan of shalom is not restricted to this earthly domain, but rather his plan of shalom dips into eternity. God's plans are for an eternal shalom, an eternal peace in his kingdom. You see, there are some who, who died in Babylonian captivity without ever really seeing freedom. There are some who lived, who were born and died in Babylon without ever seeing this promise fulfilled. But see, even though this happens for some, God's plan for shalom does not fail. And that's because God's plan for shalom is so much more than simply earthly peace in the midst of chaos. Yes, I believe that's a part of it. I truly cling to that. But it's so much more than just that. His plan for shalom is a day when evil is utterly defeated. His plan for shalom is a day when sin no longer has power over our lives. His plan for shalom is a world and an eternity with no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. You see, God has good things in store for us here and now on this earth. I believe that. But, I, but I, what I believe even more firmly and what I praise God for even more than when I'm blessed in this life is that God's plan for us is not to leave us in a world of sin, but rather to bring us into his kingdom. I invite the band to come on up as we begin to close here. See, I can praise God and I can trust in his plans even when things don't seem to go my way because I know that there's a far bigger picture in play. And even though this earthly life may end, God's shalom through Jesus brings us into eternity. You see, God plans shalom. These plans that God has, they revolve around you and I. God has plans for you. You're not an afterthought for God. You are not a tiny insignificant creature living on a rock floating around the cosmos. You are deeply loved. You are cherished. You are important. You are created with a purpose. You occupy God's heart. Did you hear that? You occupy God's heart. And his primary concern from the very moment that sin entered into the world, was doing everything he can, even giving up his own life just to save you. See, God doesn't like the thought of an eternity without you. And so his plans are for you to experience his goodness, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. His plans are for you to find your place in him. And no matter what we go through in this life or what troubles it brings, we can grasp onto the idea that God doesn't plan for harm. See, God is not against you. God is for you. 
He doesn't plan your sufferings as punishment or as some twisted way of getting you onto the right path. No, God's work is not for evil. God doesn't cause our suffering. This world is full of sin. It leads to suffering and sin leads to death. But God, on the other hand, leads us into healing and restoration. And God isn't transactional. Meaning that God does not plan good for us in exchange for our own good deeds. He isn't waiting for us to get our lives right before he starts doing good things for us. Rather, on the flip side, God always plans good things for us because he is good. Not just, not just acting good, not just exhibiting goodness, but rather God is himself good. He is himself goodness. See, God is relational. God does not respond to the action of prayer, but rather responds to us, to his creation, a creation that he deeply and passionately loves. You see, the act of prayer is not simply a key to unlock God's response. Prayer is a relational dialogue that brings our heart to God. And this world has troubles and difficulties, but God plans shalom. I think this promise manifests itself in different ways. God may at times plan earthly peace. I believe that. Other times, God plans for spiritual peace in the midst of our storm. But greater than any of these things, God plans heavenly peace. God plans a redemption and salvation for humanity. He plans a world where suffering, pain, death, and sin are no more. He plans an end to the oppressive kingdoms of the earth and the beginning of a kingdom of everlasting peace. When I read Jeremiah 29, it's not just a promise that things are going to go well for me in this life. It's the assurance that we can cling to a faith that surpasses the problems of this life and ushers us into the new life found in Jesus. So God says, I love you so much that I have plans for you. Plans to lead you into hope and restoration. Plans to lead you into perfect peace.